Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Uh, it is a fun time of year. We have one weekend done in the NCAA tournament, and it has been crazy. Chris, what's going on? Man, uh, talk about crazy. Uh, ever since the first four on Thursday night, I don't think I've I, I've been on uh, watching a game straight through. Uh, <laughs> barely time to eat and sleep, it seems, but... It's been great that um, you really don't know how much you miss something until it's taken away and then you get it back. And certainly the case with the NCAA tournament, uh, it just seems like it's different. Obviously, we're not in, in, in sites across the country. There aren't filled arenas. But just to see the, the teams, it seems like the, the benches, the players that are not in the game have done their best to, to – maybe make some theatrics happen and, yeah. and and cheer their, their teammates on and maybe make up for some of that lost pomp and circumstance. But it's, it's been great to see it back. Let's start with the big 10. How shocking has that conference's tournament been so far? They have been the best league all season. Now after one weekend, after the first two rounds, Michigan's about all that's left. Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, everybody thought that the Big Ten was the most loaded top to bottom. Big 12 might be the team that had uh, the league that had the most teams that could win. And here we look, and uh, a, a fourth of the Sweet 16 has been claimed by Pac-12 teams. Yep. Maybe as Bill Walton said, have you got a Bill Walton impersonation, by the way? The Conference the, of Champions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe it really is uh, this year, the Conference of Champions. Unless you're willing, like I am, uh, to sit up late and, and watch uh, uh, Dave Pash, who must be a saint, and <laughs> do the, the late Pac-12 games, you may have missed some good basketball this year. Uh, obviously, um, uh, I've watched a lot of Colorado because Tad Boyle is a good friend, an old friend, but I, I like the Pac-12. I, I, I've never wanted to diss the Pac-12. I, I think leagues just run in cycles. Yeah. And uh, if you look, I guess we're, the, the recruiting sweet spot, obviously L.A. is loaded, uh, and, and there's some good players in the Pacific Northwest, but really the recruiting sweet spot is in Big Ten, Big 12, yeah. maybe SEC Deep South Country. So uh, that explains uh, why the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, and Big Ten are maybe rated a little higher every year. But I think the Pac-12 is is a good brand of basketball. Uh, I just wish I could get the Pac-12 network. Have you figured out how to do that yet? No, we don't have that. Uh, I have DirecTV. We don't have that one now. I was out in Oklahoma a couple weeks ago, and like – and this one stretch on their cable, they had all the networks. They had SEC, Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12. I was like, this is awesome. You know, it's when the conference wow. tournaments were going on. So, I mean, I was just flipping back, you know, back and forth. And I got in late after uh, doing a baseball game, and I sat there watching Pac-12 network and, and watched Oregon State win. And, uh, it, well, yeah, I think it was one of the nights Oregon State was playing. I watched him win. But, yeah, that, that conference is having a great tournament so far. And I tell you what, Chris, for all the upsets that happened uh, in the last three or four days – one of the most stunning games I watched was a game uh, on Monday night when USC absolutely demolished Kansas 85-51. I thought, you know, maybe Kansas coming out after halftime, well, they, they'll probably climb back in this game and make it interesting. That was not the case. The Trojans just absolutely crushed the Jayhawks, and it just made me uh, remember that it's been 
a really tough year for basketball's Blue Bloods. When you look at a tournament with no Kentucky, no Duke, uh, North Carolina didn't last long. Kansas gets just hammered in, in this tournament. Michigan State gone. I mean, it, just a lot of those teams you're always used to seeing and usually on that second weekend for sure in the Sweet 16 and beyond that, uh, not around. But, boy, USC was really impressive in that uh, beatdown of Kansas. I'm not going to say I predicted such a butt whipping, but I did call the win. Yeah. And yeah, the win to me reason, wasn't stunning, but but the, just the way it happened was. It, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the reason I thought USC could win and probably win handily, maybe not that handily, that was Kansas's worst beating ever in the NCAA tournament. But, I, you know, obviously uh, the Mobley brothers, um, uh, a lot of height in, in Kansas with David McCormick kind of slow due to COVID protocols. Not a, not a big team. And – I just, when I picked out my bracket, I, I looked at teams that were coming off uh, COVID protocols, and I yeah. I wrote down that Ohio over Virginia upset. Uh, I missed out on a couple of other upsets. Sometimes I pick with my head and not my heart, and sometimes <laughs> I pick with my heart and not my head. So I could never get a happy medium on my bracket this year. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what you have to do. You have to figure out which one's which uh, when, you, when you're making those selections. SEC sure. has uh, Alabama and Arkansas left. Both those teams have looked good, especially Alabama. Uh, just a, a blowout win there in the uh, second round. But you have to like both their chances of making the Elite Eight. Now, no disrespect to Oral Roberts or UCLA, but uh, double-figure seizes the opponents in the Sweet 16. And it makes me think, too, to look ahead, Alabama-Michigan would be an awesome matchup if we get that one uh, for a trip to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, LSU gave Michigan all it could handle, so I would expect, and and LSU doesn't really have that much depth beyond its big four, but uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Alabama, I thought it was pretty cool. I actually just got done writing this for our newsletter, uh, but Nate Oates reached out to Rick Pitino uh, hmm. after the Iona game, and, and he said, what do you think of my team? And it's funny. Rick Pitino was one of the very first coaches, if not the first power conference coach to embrace the three point goal when it first was introduced into the game in 1986. And he took that Providence team that was undermanned and had Billy Donovan as a six foot stubby shooting guard uh, to the 1987 final four. And I, I looked at, I did some research coach K and others just decried the three point goal. They didn't like it. And in that way, Rick Pitino was sort of a prophet uh, and, and a strategist. He saw how important the three ball would be to the game. And Nate Oates uh, has embraced that in a latter day situation. And when he called Rick Pitino, Rick said, look, you guys, and they only shot 31% from three against Iona, only made five or six threes in that game. He said, look, all you guys got to do is make sure you batten down the hatches on D. And it's amazing when you get that done, how well the three ball or how often it starts to fall. Right. And last night they just rained down threes. They took 33 and made 16 against Maryland. So I think Alabama has been recalibrated and I look for great things going forward. And Arkansas is a team very similar. They don't launch the three quite as much, uh, I think they've probably got a little more inside presence, maybe, especially with Justin Smith. But uh, they've got the depth, too, like like uh, Alabama does. And they run and, and guard with, with fervor. These are two teams that that are capable of, of the long haul. I, I mean, Gonzaga looks awfully tough, but 
I watched Gonzaga last night. He only plays seven guys. So you're a turned ankle, some foul trouble yeah. away from really being able to put some pressure on them if you've got a team with the depth that Alabama or Arkansas do. One more, Chris. Does it feel like Villanova is maybe lurking in the shadows a little bit, even without Colin Gillespie? Uh, they got hot from three in that second-round game against North Texas. Now they'll play Baylor. But, you know, I used to question whether I thought Villanova with Jay Wright could get it done in the postseason. Now two championships later, to me, they look like about the most solid program in the whole deal. Well, when I was pulling out my bracket, I listened to the Greenberg Dockage podcast, and uh, I was pondering Winthrop and Villanova, and both of them said, I cannot pick against Jay Wright Incorporated. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he has just really got it going on. And I said, you know what? They're right. I'm going to go with Nova, Colin Gillespie or no. And the thing about Villanova, obviously, they exert so much energy on the defensive end. But they're so fundamentally sound, and they've got so many shooters. I mean, if you don't have shooters, it sounds so elementary. But in, in this game today, as it's played, if you don't have at least three, usually four, and sometimes even five uh, shooters, uh, you know, you're going to struggle. Chris, our first guest is here. He is the Syracuse beat writer, has been for a long time, does a great job, Syracuse.com, longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. He is Mike Waters. Mike, how you doing? I'm fine today. How are you guys doing? We are great. Great to have you with us again. I know Mike has been a guest on our show uh, lots of times over the years, Chris. Yeah, he's a good friend, and and uh, he trods he has trodden in, in familiar pathways as us. He started in Nashville and actually covered Belmont, which yep. was your school. You were on the mic for Belmont for eighteen years, and uh, but the first thing I wanted to ask you, Mike, it, it seems like it's just so easy uh, for the pundits to just pick on Syracuse anymore and say, like, oh man, they don't even deserve to be there, or they should have been in the first four. And here we are. What's the deal? Uh, I, I watched Syracuse play. They've got more firepower than I think some pundits give them credit for. Well, and, and they're playing much better now and over the last two weeks than they did for the first two months of the season. That's for sure. Uh, they did put themselves in a precarious situation uh, in terms of getting in or being left out of the NCAA tournament. With, with two games left in the regular season, they were out. Uh, they weren't in anybody's bracket. They they had to win their last two games against North Carolina and Clemson, two teams they had lost to earlier in the year. Uh, they had to win uh, their first uh, ACC tournament game against North Carolina State, and they played really well that day, and they really throttled NC State, and that had to be a game that if the committee happened to be watching uh, out in Indianapolis as they were starting to gather there in their conference rooms, they they watched that game. They were thinking to themselves, this is starting to look like an NCAA tournament team. And then the way they played against Virginia, even in a loss, uh, losing to the regular season champions in the ACC on a last second three-pointer. Another game where, again, if the committee was actually watching, uh, they were seeing a team that probably deserved to be in. But then you do have to get down to the metrics and the numbers. Uh, listen, it, it was dicey on that Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting texts from fans, even as the bracket's getting revealed. We're out. Oh, no. Utah State's in. Uh, <laughs> UCLA's in. How can they get in ahead of Syracuse? I'm like, yeah, I know. It's starting to look kind of uh, bleak. But I, this is a team, and it's always been this kind of team, or at least over the last six years. You put a Syracuse team in, 
even as a 10 or 11 seed, and they're going to cause trouble. Mike, do you think just getting to the postseason after being on the bubble provided this team with a bit of a reset and, and a fresh start? No, I think it came earlier, uh, Kevin, um, because like I said, you know, those wins over Carolina yeah, and Clemson yeah. and then NC State, and so they didn't really reset anything once they got into the tournament. Uh, this team's uh, turnaround happened a little bit earlier than that, and part of it, I think, really is um, they've improved defensively. Uh, they've definitely gotten better there. And and they also finally had a chance as a team to get into a rhythm. I mean, everybody's had to deal with COVID. And so what Syracuse has, has had to go through this season probably can be, you know, is similar to a lot of other programs across the country. But for a team that was going to rely on some shooters for their offense, uh, to have guys like Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard go through their COVID pauses. I mean, there, there was a 10-day COVID pause before they even started the season. Uh, after being on pause for 10 days, they got in one day of practice before their opener. Uh, and then Buddy Bayham had to sit out for three games when he got contact traced. He didn't have coronavirus, but a walk-on did, and several of the guys on the team got contact traced. Most were walk-ons. Um, Buddy and just one other scholarship player had to miss three games. For a shooter to miss three games, he's out of his routine. And then just a, right after Christmas, four scholarship players, including Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard, did come down with the virus. Uh, Buddy and Joe have both talked about how it laid them out. Uh, they were, you know, so they come back from that COVID pause, and it wasn't a pause. You know, they, they were in their apartments in bed. And so when they came back and they dropped three out of their next four games, we shouldn't have been surprised. Sure. Um, Buddy Beheim through his first 15 games this season was averaging 14 points a game and making 31% of his threes in the last nine games. He's averaging 24 points and making 49% of his threes. That's not a two game blip. That's nine games. That's a pretty substantial, uh, you know, sample size. This is reminiscent of the Jerry McNamara led Syracuse team where remember he, he was just, crazy on fire uh tell us about uh buddy uh, you and i were talking on the phone yesterday and and you said he's such a great kid and, and such an unassuming guy uh, tell us a little bit about uh coach Beheim's boy well he is um, a good kid he is rather unassuming and actually that's something that uh jim Beheim and a couple of the other syracuse coaches have had to like drive out of him uh jim has said on numerous times of his two sons the older one jimmy who uh, has played the last you know three years at Cornell. And of course, the Ivy was shut down this year, so Jimmy couldn't play. But Jimmy's the overconfident one. Uh, Jim will tell you that uh, Jimmy thinks he's the best golfer in the family, even though he's, uh, he's not. He'll hit nine straight balls in the woods and think the next one's going right down the middle. <laughs> uh, you know, Buddy will hit you know, nine straight balls right down the middle and hit one out of bounds and think the next 10 are also going out of bounds. Um, <laughs> As golfers, I think we share a lot in common with Buddy, probably. Now, Buddy was ranked 349th in the 2018 recruiting class. I mean, you're 349. It's kind of hard to have a big head and be super confident, right? You know, you got to. And so, like, Jim, Jerry McNamara, uh, Eric Devendorf, another former Syracuse player who has worked out with Buddy in the offseason for several years, they've all, uh, in addition to working on his game, tried to build him up. And, and now what you're seeing in him is, is just a player with just a supreme level of confidence. Um, he has been caught on camera 
a couple times this season after making a couple threes in a row um, saying stuff. And I told Eric Devendorf this yesterday when I was interviewing Eric, I said, you obviously taught Buddy some new words in addition to teaching him some confidence. And like, okay, so we've had a definite Eric Devendorf transfusion of confidence into Buddy Behan. Our guest is Mike Waters, covered Syracuse for many years, Syracuse.com, and a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. Uh, Another key guy, Merrick Dolajai, I think I hope I'm saying it right. How has he become such an important player for this group? You got Dolajai pretty good for someone who wasn't born and raised in Slovakia. (laughs) We've come to refer to Marek as the Slovakian Army Knife because he just does a little bit of everything for Syracuse. Uh, He's a 6'10 kid who they say weighs 200 pounds. We'll have to take him at their word because I tell you what, it's close. Um, He's as slender as a toothpick. Uh, He's supposed to be a forward. He played forward all of last year, played a little bit of backup center, uh, you know, when Barama Sidibe would would leave the game, mainly just because Jim Beheim trusted him in there. And for short term, it was okay. And you would look different on offense and throw the other, give something to the other team to kind of look at. This season, poor Marek, Barama Sidibe goes down four minutes into the season opener with a torn meniscus. Um, he, he plays one game the rest of the year. He tried to come back late in the season against Clemson, played 10 uh, or 11 ineffective minutes. Swelling comes back up again. So basically, Barama Sidibe's out for the whole year. Marek Dolajai has started at center uh, every game since the opener. He's averaged about 35, 36 minutes a game this season, almost all at center. Um, giving away 50 pounds, 40 pounds to guys like, you know, Garrison Brooks and Armando Bacote in North Carolina and Amir Sims and, and those guys. I mean, and he, Beheim has called him the most valuable player on the team. And this is a, you know, they were led in scoring for the whole season by uh, Alan Griffin. Obviously, you're seeing now what Buddy Beheim's doing. Uh, Quincy Garrier, their sophomore forward, was only second in the ACC in rebounding. But Beheim insists that Marek Dolajai is his most important player. He rebounds, he defends, he's smart in the middle of the zone. He knows it. He plays it really well. They run offense through him. Um, he's up there in assist with with Joe Girard, uh, you know, almost leading the team in assists for six ten centers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really to show you how much he means to this team with about. A little under 13 minutes to go in their game Sunday night against West Virginia. Marek is on the bench with four fouls, and Beheim sends him back in because he knew right at that moment West Virginia was making a little bit of a run, and the game was going to be lost, won or lost right there. He put Marek in with 12.48 to go in that game uh, because he knew he had to have him in there. And Marek plays the rest of the game without picking up his fifth foul. And he wasn't like he was sort of dancing around, you know, on the court, but not helping you because he's afraid he played, he rebounded. Uh, They were using him to break West Virginia's press, which you guys know that West Virginia press uh, can really, you know, just uh, stun teams, but to have a six foot 10 guy back there, he was the, he was the pressure release valve. You you threw it to Marek and uh, he could see over the guards. His own man wasn't coming up to guard him. Um, He's invaluable. Uh, next up, Houston. How do you see that matchup, Mike? I'm the wrong guy to ask, Chris, because I had Syracuse losing to San Diego State and then <laughs> turned around and had them losing to West Virginia, too. Uh, if there's a Syracuse fan watching this, they don't want me to pick Syracuse. Um, 
you know, I think it's an interesting matchup of two completely different styles. Uh, Houston's going to run you. Um, they're going to try to get up the court before the zone is set up. Uh, Syracuse is pretty good at getting back. Um, they know they have to get back and stop transition points. Uh, the problem for Syracuse could be the, is that Houston is a tremendous offensive rebounding team. I think they're top three or top five in the country. Uh, Syracuse this season has been hurt by several teams on the defensive boards for them. The other team's offensive rebounding. Uh, that's how North Carolina beat them. That's how Pittsburgh beat them twice. It's how Virginia just destroyed them down in Charlottesville during the season. Uh, Syracuse has done a much better job of that late in the season. I think that's going to be one of their main challenges on Saturday night is to prevent Houston from getting second chance opportunities. Mike, always great to have you with us. Uh, enjoyed your contributions to our show, and I know Chris appreciates your hard work all these years uh, for Blue Ribbon. Hope we can catch up with you again down the road and uh, enjoy the run for Syracuse. Kevin, Chris, listen, this is great. It's good to see you guys again. Thanks for having me on. Take care, buddy. That was Mike Waters. He covers Syracuse and has for a long time. The beat writer for Syracuse.com and a Blue Ribbon contributor and contributing editor. And I always appreciate uh, his time. He's been great with us over the years in our podcast. Our second guest has arrived as well. He is Todd Hefferman. He covers SIU and the Missouri Valley Conference for the Southern Illinois and also a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. Todd, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. How are you guys? Doing fine. Well, doing, doing a little research on Loyola. So I, I, I went back to one of your first stories for us, and you ended it with, a, with, I, with I thought, a prophetic uh, quote from Porter Moser. You had said, this, this was your words, you wrote something to the effect that Loyola doesn't want the CBI or CIT. They, they want to be an NCAA, NIT team. And then your last line or the last part of the story was a quote from Porter. He said, I think we have all the pieces. And at near the end of that story, you talked about Cameron Crutwig. He was one of those pieces. Uh, and, and you talked about a, a game in the Illinois semifinals where he'd had like a, you know, stuffed his stat sheet. And it just totally, so totally forecast what was about to happen. Uh, can you believe uh, how far Porter Moser has taken this program and and what they've been able to accomplish, not once but twice in the NCAA's? Uh, well, it's I mean it's it's not it's a little shocking, obviously. Yeah, I, I thought they'd give Illinois a, a, a hard game. But I didn't think they would win, but but at the same time, um, no, Chris. I mean, I'd never been to Loyola until they told us that they were joining the league. And I wasn't going to be able to drive up there, Dick, because it was in the middle of football season. So SIU's AD actually invited me and uh, a guy from one of the local TV stations on a private SIU plane. SIU is one of the best aviation programs in the country. And they flew us to Chicago uh, for the press conference. And I was like, this is right on the, this is right on the, the lake. Uh, it's a beautiful part of Chicago, uh, a very ritzy part of Chicago. You know, they're building all these new things. Uh, their arena was small, but it was very professional-like. And they fill it up now. And that's why they have one of the longest home court winning streaks in the country. Um, and I thought, you know, if, he, if they got the right coach and, and they were able to build a program with some Chicago kids, I thought maybe they had a chance. And uh, they got Lucas Williamson. They got Cameron Crutwig, who didn't have any Power 5 offers. 
And he knew that Cameron was going to be like a passing big man that is extremely tough to find, you know, not only in the power five, but especially at the mid-major level, but he was right outside of Chicago. Um, and he just kind of Porter's teams were always pretty good defensively. And it's just, he's just had the right opportunity, the right chance, gotten the right players. And he's had some killers, you know, you got to have some guys that are used to winning Clayton Custer won, I think two or three state championships with Ben Richardson. They both may be in the Valley hall of fame sometime because they went to the final four. Uh, Custer was the player of the year. Richardson was the defensive player of the year. Um, Crutwig uh, has also been a player of the year. Lucas Williamson has now been a defensive player of the year. So all four of those guys may very well be in the Loyola Hall of Fame and possibly the Valley Hall of Fame. If they make another Final Four, I would almost bet on it. You know, Kind of in that same vein, I always say winning brings more winning in college sports. How was Loyola able to make the most of that Final Four run back in 2018? Well, they did a great job of promoting it. I mean, they, the it's been it's been written about that how it affected their attendance as far as their attendance, their their enrollment at that school, the the financial backing. That that's why everybody in the valley covets just one NCAA tournament berth because of what it can do for your national notoriety. Now, now they also had lightning in a bottle. I mean, what they, they won two games on game winning shots, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then they played Kansas State when Kansas State didn't have one or two of their best players. Great win, but but nonetheless, uh, the things lined up for them, and they and they really took advantage and were a tough out. Uh, they're going to be a tough out uh, against Oregon State as well. But it just in Porter's very personable. You know, if if Porter was a was a quiet guy like a kind of like a Todd Licklider that, that wins a lot of games, but is really quiet about it. Um, Chris Lowry was kind of the same thing. He wasn't, he was a great character, but he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily great on television. Porter was great on television and, and great recruiter, obviously, and pretty, pretty personable guy. So I think it was just, just all those things considered they build on it and they, you know, they were expecting to go to the NIT in 2020 uh, so that would have been another postseason berth. They may have made another postseason run. Todd, I grew up uh, in Granite City, Illinois, uh, watching Valley games uh, as a kid. And I, it's surprising to me that everybody predicted the league's demise when Creighton and Wichita State pulled out. And I, I wondered about the, the addition of Loyola, but how astute that seems in hindsight. Can you talk about that and also the league in general and yeah, you must have fun covering it on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, I really do enjoy the league because the, the beat writers get along. The coaches are pretty good. And I'm fortunate, you know, to talk to them in the summer um, for the Blue Ribbon and, and for some other things. So I get to interact with them a little bit more than, than some other people. Um, the, 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 the farthest trip is about six or eight hours. So it's not a hard league to get around. Um, I've never covered any other league, but my friends that have covered the Big Ten or the Big 12 say it's it's just they, they, they treat the beat riders a little bit better. So that's one thing that helps. But it's a competitive league. I mean, just as you said, I mean, we always thought we, you're not going to be able to replace Wichita State and Creighton. I mean, these are national names. These coaches are making more than a million or two dollars a year. Nobody else in the Valley can pay that. Well, Actually, some of the teams, maybe maybe not a million, but but Porter's got to be close to that, if not a little bit over with his restructuring. Private schools don't have to disclose how much they pay their coaches, but they do have to disclose what their base pay is uh, for tax reasons, if you know where to look. So 
these these coaches are very competitive. They're competitively paid. You know, Ben Jacobson, people forget how long he's been at Northern Iowa. He was rumored to be on the Minnesota job. He's he's had a you know, lost his best player, uh, won the first game at the tournament and then couldn't play because of COVID. Uh Bradley won the won the tournament last year. Um, Valparaiso made the final as a seven or eight seed that had never happened before. So, so the league has a great history of winning in the postseason, not only winning the first round in the NCAA tournament, but having competitive teams, maybe not necessarily the, the one or two seed that is, that has made some runs in the tournament. So it's just kind of been surprising. And we all thought they would try to add Belmont or Murray state. Um, but they, they sure picked, you know, the, the two best schools they probably could have picked in Loyola and Valparaiso when Wichita State and Creighton left. Our guest is Todd Hafferman. He covers the Missouri Valley Conference and SIU for the Southern Illinois and also for Blue Ribbon. Yeah, you, you talk about uh, Coach Porter Moser, and they made the commitment to keep him around. Should they be worried this time around? Yeah, yeah, they're going to need those units to, to pay his new contract, I mm-hmm. think. And the thing is, you know, he has he has he has some older kids, but he also has some younger kids in Chicago. He's from Chicago. He has a great setup right now. Uh, they have a great recruiting class coming in. He hasn't answered uh, when we've asked him, are your seniors coming back again? Drake's seniors say they are. Um, I think most schools are going to try, at least in the Valley. And if he has all those guys come back again, he could be really good again. Um but at the same time, if someone offers to double your salary, uh, is Marquette a best a best job for him? He was close to taking the St. John's job two years ago. UNLV threw a lot of money at it, reportedly. I mean, I think he can win in a lot of different places, but I, I don't think he's just going to leave for anything. I think it has to be the right fit for him. Talk about a Crutway. He He's such a unique player in that, you know, he's a big guy. But, but he moves well, and he just seems to play a game of chess out there and, and just think a couple of moves ahead. That's so rare for a post, isn't it? Yeah, he's really made for the half-court game that the Valley champ, the Valley Conference season really becomes. I mean, he's not a guy that can outrun a lot of people. He can, you know, he can outrun, you know, mo- most centers in our league. But he's also he's – and he's not a three-point shooter – so you don't have to guard him out there. But what you have to do is you have to guard him out by the free throw line because that's where he can see the whole court and he can make something happen by himself. Or if he's double teamed, he's an excellent passer. He had five assists against Illinois. Uh, he had four steals against Illinois. He's a better defensive player than most people give him credit for. And and he's about 250 pounds, 6'9", uh, can really overpower you in the middle if you don't double team him. So he really makes – when you surround him with the shooters that, that Loyola has, really makes it tough out for them to guard. And then they can, then they can go small without him with Ahir and uh, Marquise Kennedy. And, and then they have another guy, Jacob Hudson, who's been playing well for them. So he's kind of been a good mentor for him, and he's been a great leader. I mean, he's him and Lucas are, are the winningest players in Loyola history. Um, they've got to be close to the Valley record for, for how many postseason games they've won in uh in three or four years and they may get another year at it so um it's just he's fun to watch uh he can be guarded uh siu's actually done a pretty good job considering all things maybe because brian recruited him or helped recruit him and 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 help coach him but uh it's it's really tough to limit him and even when he has a bad game it seems like he has 10 and 8 and 6 you know so he's he's a real gamer so that's what's going to be tough for oregon state too 
Todd, before we let you go, let's get a quick preview of Oregon State, a thought or two on that matchup. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I think Loyola is playing well, obviously, and they've, they've led the country in, in scoring defense for most of the season. Uh, they're, they're favored by six and a half. I think they get a couple of days to prepare for them, and uh, I, I like their chances. Todd, we really enjoyed the visit. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. That was Todd Hafferman, covers SIU and the Missouri Valley Conference for the Southern Illinois and also a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. And uh, great to have him with us for our podcast today. Well, Chris, that'll uh, wrap it up. Uh, no telling what all is going to happen this coming week as the uh, tournament gets into the regional round, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. But it's uh, it's been a great and crazy tournament so far, all the games being played up in Indianapolis. It's been interesting to see all, all the uh, different venues around that city. I was going to ask you this uh, off the top, though. What's your setup like for, for watching games? Do you have, like, a, a multiple television room, or do you have, you know, different devices going with, with iPads and computers and stuff? How does it work for you? It leans more toward the latter. Um, I've got TVs in three different rooms, uh, and I've got a computer and a laptop in my office, so I can watch from any of four different locations. And a lot of times uh, – I'll switch back and forth, which my cable provider allows me to do quickly. Uh-huh. And I just try to make sure that I'm watching games at what I think are, are crunch time. Because uh, they do a great job of showing you not only the score of games that are going on, but the clock winding down. So I think, oh, I better get over to True TV or, oh, mm-hmm. I better get over to TNT. Yep. And I always try to, you know, I, I wish I could watch every second of every game. That's just not possible, but it sure is cool being able to kind of gauge when you need to cut out and get to another game, and that's what I do. And the best thing that ever happened to this tournament as far as watching it on TV is a few years ago when they expanded where all they showed the games and you're able to watch you know, whatever game is being played, it's on somewhere. You don't have to wait for a live look in or for them to switch away from another game. I mean, you can go there and watch that game live. So uh, that that was a great development that happened a few years back. I, I'm kind of like you. I have you know, one TV in, in several different rooms, but uh, I'll watch it on a different device or on my phone or on an iPad or something like that if I want to see two games at once. But it's a good setup. It'll be a lot of fun coming up this week. And, Chris, it's always great to do the podcast with you and uh, the terrific guests that you're able to land for us every week. Well, enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm glad I'm not a betting man. Every me too. mark uh, convinces me that I did the right thing by not ever getting. <laughs> but uh, it sure is fun. Th- this is what makes the NCAA tournament great. These results: Ohio over Virginia, Loyola uh, messing people up again, hurting some feelings. Uh, it just happens, you know, and, and that's what's part of it. I think we've talked about this in closing. Uh, you covered Belmont for many years. The, the system, as it is, really isn't fair. You know, Belmont can't get anybody to come to their place or teams of that ilk. So the NCAA tournament, every year, it gives all the Davids of college basketball a slingshot and a rock and a, invites them to take aim at Goliath. And sometimes they hit them right between the eyes. Oh, man. Some of them have definitely connected this year as we've seen all these uh, double-digit seeds win. Nine double-digit seeds won first-round games. Uh, we saw Oral Roberts make it to the Sweet 16 as a 15. That's only the second time that's happened. Saw Abilene Christian with my buddy Grant Boone, who's the play-by-play man and a, a Nashville native. Uh, they got that thrill by beating Texas the other night. So it's been a whole lot of that so far. So looking forward uh, once again to the regional round coming up this week. 
He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.